Well, I want to welcome everyone. As Pastor Daniel said, I'm also one of uh, the pastors here. I'm the lead pastor. And so we are so honored to have you join us with this Christmas celebration, this Christmas Eve time. So thank you. We know that there are so many places that you could have been, but you chose to come and to worship with us. Let me just say that I do recognize that our little ones are here. And so uh, I promise to keep my message brief. I heard it once said that a message does not have to be everlasting to be eternal. And so I am going to stick with that advice that was given to me, all right? And I would like to, when I heard what song they were singing, I felt it appropriate just to follow in with that theme. So I'm going to follow along with that theme of what the children saying, go tell it on the mountain. Many of you may uh, know, or, or maybe you don't know, that this song was actually one that was written during a time where the oppression of slavery was prevalent. And it was a song of hope. It was hope that one day things will not always be the way that they currently are. But the words of this song, they extend hope beyond the emancipation of slavery, but they declare freedom for all who are held captive and bound by the power of sin and darkness. And so what I would like for us to do this morning is to ask us to consider what it means when we say, go tell it on the mountain. You see, to go and to tell it on the mountain, that means that we are proclaiming something. We are making it known. It's a loud declaration, and it is us without reservation or any embarrassment declaring the goodness of our God. You know, Jesus, in his earthly ministry, announced from the mountain in Galilee to his followers that they were to go make disciples of all nations. But I think that oftentimes whenever we think of this song, Perhaps what comes to mind are the characters that are surrounding Jesus' birth, right? Like we think of the angels, we think of the shepherds, we think of the wise men, all who did their part in telling it on the mountain. But to really understand the message of Christmas, we have to go all the way back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis, which actually means beginning. And in the beginning, we read that God created everything that exists, the trees, the birds, both the sun and the moon, as well as every other planet and star in the universe, all were created by God. But God's greatest creation, it wasn't the Grand Canyon or the Milky Way galaxy. People were his greatest handiwork, and he valued people more than all of his creation. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God created us in his image, that we are the imago Dei, which is Latin for the image of God. And as God's prized creation, we were given a divine purpose, and one that wasn't just limited to what we're reading about here in Genesis. It wasn't just limited to Adam and Eve, but to every person who ever lived. You see, God designed us to be in relationship with him. That's the very reason for our existence. We were created to worship God. But something went terribly wrong. Sin entered the world as a result of man's failure to obey God. 
disrupting that perfect relationship and casting a shadow over all of humanity. But God, in his infinite love and mercy, had a plan. One that we can actually see all the way back in creation. And so whenever we sing the song, Go Tell It on the Mountain, actually God himself was the very first to proclaim it. It was actually him saying to his enemy, Satan, you know, the one who tempted God's creation and caused the fall of man. God told Satan in Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put enmity, that's hostility. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head, hallelujah, and you will strike his heel. This messianic prophecy broadcasted by God himself gives us a glimpse into God's plan for our redemption. You see, God foretold of a battle, a battle between the seed of the woman and the serpent. The serpent would strike at the heel of the prophesied Messiah, symbolizing the suffering that Jesus would endure on the cross. But the good news is found in the first part of the prophecy, that the Messiah, Jesus, would crush the serpent's head, signifying Jesus' victory, his reign over sin and death and the forces of darkness. But this promise, it was just the first of a big grand narrative, which was woven all throughout the pages of the Bible, and specifically even in the Old Testament. Many of God's spokesmen or his prophets were part of this commission to go and tell it on the mountain. Moses spoke of it in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10 when he said that Jesus would be born from the tribe of Judah. Which, by the way, Moses actually wrote that 2,000 years before Jesus was born. So Moses was telling it on the mountain a couple of centuries before Christ's birth actually took place. He also said in Numbers 24, he mentioned that, oh, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel 17, it's prophet Samuel that said, he said that the Messiah would come from David's lineage. The prophet Daniel said in Daniel 7.13 that one like the Son of Man would be coming on the clouds. The prophet Micah prophesied where Jesus would be born. It was in a town called Bethlehem, which is actually really interesting because that Hebrew word Bethlehem actually means house of bread, which I find interesting because Jesus himself said in John 8.35, he says, I am the what? Bread of life. Zechariah told it on the mountain when he said that Jesus would be coming into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And the prophet Malachi said that Jesus would come and that he would establish a covenant with God and man. And then there's the prophet Isaiah, which, by the way, has so many prophecies concerning the Messiah that I couldn't even mention them all here in this one message. But he spoke of a virgin who would give birth. And he said that she would give birth to a son, and his name would be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. Isaiah also gave a description of the Messiah, saying that he is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. 
earlier, Lurie read that to us. And I'd like to just, if I could, maybe expound upon Isaiah's description of the Messiah. You see, Jesus has many titles. And each of his titles reveals an aspect of his character. He is the wonderful counselor, meaning that he is the source of all wisdom and guidance. And he leads us by his truth. He is also mighty God. So friends, make no mistake about it. Jesus is God. I know that oftentimes we like to think of Jesus as this babe in the manger, but he's no longer in the manger. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And every knee will bow before him. All thrones, all power, all dominion are his. And that's why we also give him the title Everlasting Father. Now, you may be like, well, wait a minute. Everlasting Father, didn't you just say that he was sitting at the right hand of the Father? Well, when the scripture says Everlasting Father, that can be understood as Father of eternity or source of everlasting life. Jesus being part of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is the source of eternal life for all who would place their trust and their faith in him. He's the one who reconciles us with the Father and offers us the gift of everlasting life. And then lastly, Isaiah calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. You know, in a world that's often filled with turmoil and stress, conflict, Jesus offers us true peace. He reconciles us to God, giving us inner peace and gives us the ability to be peacemakers. Now, as you think about these titles, I want you to know that Jesus isn't some distant figure from the past, but Jesus is present, accessible, and relevant to our lives today. Now, I want to mention one last person to join in with this group of those who told it on the mountain, and there's so many more that I could have shared. King David told it on the mountain. As a matter of fact, all throughout the book of Psalms, he mentions things like Jesus being God's appointed king over all the nations. He spoke of Jesus being pierced in his hands and in his feet, even before crucifixion was a thing. He spoke of how they would divide Christ's garments and cast lots for them. He spoke of how they would give Jesus sour wine to drink, foreshadowing what ended up happening on the cross. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, what in the world does all of this have to do with Christmas? Everything. Because the greatest gift that you'll ever receive isn't the one that's wrapped and placed under a tree, but it's the one that was first wrapped in swaddling clothes and later hung up on a different kind of tree, the cross. See, the beauty of Christmas is this, is that Jesus came to give us the greatest gift that we will ever receive, the gift of eternal life. It's not just about a baby in a manger, but about a savior on a cross. The true message of Christmas is that God loved us so much that he sent his son as a gift. And that gift continues to be offered 
to all who would receive him. When we trust in him, we experience the wonder of his counsel, the might of his strength, the love of the everlasting father, and the peace that transcends understanding. A question was once asked, what is the chief end of man? And from that question came an answer. It's what is referred to as the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and it's this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him from ever, forever. Friends, that baby that we celebrate on Christmas that came from heaven to earth, he is ruling and reigning throughout eternity. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And his purpose today is no different than when he first designed it in the Garden of Eden to spend eternity with him, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I'm going to ask everyone to stand with me, if you would. Told you I would be brief this morning. But I'm going to read you a scripture in Psalm 95. Verse 6 and 7. It says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Then verse 8 says, Today, if only you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. You know, the only way that we get to enjoy God forever is by receiving the incredible gift of Jesus. John 3, 16, one of the most well-known scriptures in the entire Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Now, I know that certainly there are a lot of Christians in the room, but you know, I just want to ask, who is here today and you have not surrendered your life to Christ, but you would like to? You can be a recipient of this great gift called salvation. And please understand the invitation because salvation is so much more than the promise of heaven. I mean, don't get me wrong. Thank God for heaven. Amen. But God has promised to be the Prince of Peace in our life. He is a very present help in the time of trouble. He is our peace. He is our joy. He is our comfort. And if you want him to be those things in your life, I want to extend as a minister of the gospel that invitation to you right now. And what I want to do is I want to lead us in a prayer. It's a prayer of surrender. It's one that says to God, God, I give my life to you. And you know, I believe the greatest gift that you could give this Christmas season would be to give your whole life, all of your heart to him. And I believe that there's no one here by coincidence this morning. I believe in providence. I believe that God directs man's steps even whenever we don't realize that our steps are being directed. And I just want to ask who's here this morning, and maybe you have never surrendered your heart fully to him, and you would like to. If you would like to, I'm going to lead you in this prayer right now. It's a prayer of surrender, like I said, that says to God, God, I need you. I want you. 
pray this prayer out loud with me if that's you. And saints of God, those of you that have already prayed this prayer, let's all join in praying this prayer together right now. Pray, Lord Jesus, I need you. I surrender my life to you. I call you my Lord. I call you my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from it. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for the sin of the world and for my sin. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave just as your word says. Now I want to li live my life to know you and to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we thank God for his salvation? Amen.